listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. I want to read the first four verses or grab a, a copy um, of the Gospel of Luke, the Word of God, and look at the first four verses with me this morning. I'd like to take a minute and walk through um, these verses and try to make some application um, while we're here. Verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And, and verse 4 is critical to us understanding the gospel of Luke, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So th this book is written probably to a man named Theophilus who lives in uncertain times. We live in uncertain times, don't we? Uh, we've seen events unfold around us. We've seen events unfold in our nation. And many of the events, for example, what happened over in Afghanistan just this week, those are not political events. Uh, please understand, those are theological events. This is a conflict of gods, and, um, and the, the God of America or the, the God of Islam or the God of the Taliban. And so these attacks are not just politically driven. Uh, given our political climate in America today, it lends itself to uh, a ton of uncertainty in so many ways. Um, we've got uncertainty with a storm coming in off the coast. I've got a daughter in Hattiesburg. Mississippi. Who knows what's going to happen to them 100 miles uh, inland with, uh, with this, this hurricane that's moving in. We, we live in a time of uncertainty. Theophilus lives in a time of uncertainty, the guy that Paul or, uh, Luke is writing to. Theophilus is uh, a man who probably is connected in some way high up in um, uh, Roman uh, political life who is bound to proclaim Caesar as Lord. But if these things are true and he believes them, if Theophilus believes them, then he must proclaim Christ as Lord. And so Luke is writing to him so that he can be certain that these things are true. Not of all of these competing ideologies, not all of these competing religions, not all of these things that are being thrown at us in every which way to our brain and to our heart. These things are true. Now, if these things are true, I must proclaim Christ as Lord, number one, and I must order my life around them, number two, and I must proclaim this to everyone I know that these things are true if if I have this certainty, certainty. He's saying in the text, you are safe to believe this. And when all else fails and falls through, you can believe this. When believing, when believing this costs you everything, you can be certain that your faith in Christ 
in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, and in his victorious resurrection over sin, you can be certain that this is true and reliable and worthy of all that you are. And so we look at the Gospel of Luke, hoping, hoping to find our certainty in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. Let me just walk you through some introductory thoughts as we consider these four verses. Number one, who is Luke? Luke is a Gentile. He grew up as a Gentile. The name Luke is a Gentile name. We know from Acts chapter 16, Paul goes in verse 10 to a we section, and Luke is the author of the book of Acts as well. And so we know from Luke's writings in the book of Acts that he was a companion of the apostle Paul. We know that he was with Paul in prison, according to Acts 21 to 24. We know that he was a fellow worker of Paul, according to 2 Timothy 4.11, where he said, only Luke is with me. We also know that he is a medical doctor, according to Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 14, when Paul refers to him as Luke the physician. Those are some internal things that we know just from what we find in the text of Scripture. But there are some external things that we see about Luke. He knew the apostles. There's historical tradition. He knew the apostles. He probably interviewed the apostles as he considered what he was going to write, in addition to looking at the writings of Mark. He was saved later in life. He never married. He died at age 84. He was full of the Holy Spirit. As we study the Gospel of Luke, let me tell you some things that you're going to find out about Luke. Luke was a great writer. Uh, some of the most enjoyable portions of Scripture, some of the most readable portions of Scripture are found in Luke and Acts, which comprise 28% of the New Testament. So this is, this is a guy who's written um, a, a huge portion of the New Testament. He's a great writer. You're also going to find as you read the feel that you're going to get is a warmth. You're going to get that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is patient, that he is accurate, that he looks carefully at detail, that he is sacrificial. Luke is essentially living like a fly on the wall. Luke's not trying to make a name for himself. Luke doesn't even mention his own name. Luke doesn't care if anybody knows him. Luke doesn't care if anybody sees what he's going through. If he's on a ship and the shipwrecks, he's not writing about the struggles that, that he's going through. He's writing a historical narrative, this, this biographical narrative of the life of the Apostle Paul and the things that are going on historically in that context. He wasn't worried about being popular or successful or spectacular or telling you how amazing he was. Here was a guy that believed that Jesus Christ lived the life that he could not live and died the death that he deserved to die and rose victorious over an enemy that he could not defeat. And Luke was determined to give his life for Christ. And he found great joy in tagging along with the Apostle Paul and writing about the things that he saw, and writing about the things that he saw the Lord do in that ministry, and writing about the church as he saw it unfold. This is, this is an, amazing, an amazing guy. It's the kind of guy that I wish that I was. He wasn't worried about being thanked. He wasn't worried about being noticed. He wasn't worried about being significant. He just was along for the ride. 
and writing down everything that he saw. Imagine how his heart was bursting and imagine at the details that he paid attention to. That's who uh, Luke is. Secondly, how does, how does Luke order his gospel? And we can look at it several ways. I want to just, just hasten through four different ways you can look at the gospel of Luke. First of all, we can look at it chronologically and we can see in chapters 1 and 2 the birth of Jesus. In chapters 3 to 9, we can see the public ministry of Jesus. In chapters 10 to 19, we can see Jesus training his disciples and teaching about the kingdom. And then in chapters 20 to 24, we can see the betrayal and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at chronologically. Secondly, we can look at the, the gospel of, of Luke geographically, and we can see Jesus in Galilee in chapters 1 to 9. We can see this long portion where Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem in chapters 10 to 19, and we can see Jesus in Jerusalem in chapters 20 to 24. Or we can look at Luke's gospel dramatically, and you look at chapters 1 to 9, and Jesus is a hero. Jesus is amazing. There is this excitement. The Messiah has come, but when the Pharisees get involved, starting in chapter 10, going through the end of the gospel of Luke, Jesus goes from being hero to zero. Jesus goes from being the greatest man on the face of the planet to the worst man on the face of the planet. And then finally, we can look at the gospel of Luke theologically. We can see in chapters 1 to 6 and chapters 10 to 18 that Jesus is a prophet. And in chapters 7 and 9, we can see that Jesus is a priest. And in chapters 19 to 24, we can see that Jesus is a king. The third question I'll ask of the text and, and ask you to consider this morning as we look into the Gospel of Luke, and now we're going to look into the text that I, that I read earlier this morning. Why did Luke write this book? And he tells us why he writes it. It's interesting that, that Scripture generally tells us why the book is written. Almost all of the books in the New Testament tell us why they were written. What was the purpose of the writing? Here's why, why he wrote. First of all, he wrote to compile a, a narrative. He tells us in the text there are, there are many who have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, things that really did happen, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. They've delivered this to us, but he's saying, now I, I want to compile a, a, a narrative. I want to take oral tradition. I want to take the things that I've heard. I want to take written documents. I want to collect all of these. I want to com compile all of these as much as I can. We know from John 20 and John 21 that many things happened that Jesus did that were not written about and if they were written about you couldn't find a library large enough to hold all of the writings that would describe the things that happened with Jesus but Luke is saying I'm trying now to collect all of the resources that I can and I'm going to compile um, a, a narrative of the things that have been accomplished the things that have been fulfilled the things that have been completed he said God's plan is unfolded before our very eyes and I want to write about that. And so he writes these books, Luke and Acts, and we begin to see the beginning of Christ coming to the church forming. Secondly, not only to compile a narrative, but he's writing to say, I have investigated thoroughly. This is a man who can be trusted. This is a man who probably approached it with some cynicism. This is a man who probably approached it with some doubt. But he was curious. He wrote to compile a narrative, but he wrote to investigate 
thoroughly. He said, having followed all things closely. There was this detailed, objective process to verify everything that he heard. He was an investigative reporter. He found word, he found uh, uh, some story, and he went to the apostles, and he went to uh, Mary, and he went to those that were lame, and he went to those that were healed, and he went to those who were shepherds in the field. He went to everybody he could. He found the kid with the loaves and the fishes, and he interviewed them. He's chasing down everything that he hears about Jesus because while Luke is a physician, he's also a historian and an investigative journalist and a documentarian. And so he's, he's following these things closely. He's investigating them thoroughly. When he says he followed them closely, he's saying that he was cautious, he was perceptive, he was critical in his approach. So this is not just some haphazard compilation of words about Jesus that maybe are verifiable and maybe are not. Luke did his homework, and this document is trustworthy. Thirdly, why did Luke write this book? He he wanted to write convincingly. He said, I followed it closely, I believe it completely, and I want to write write in a way and speak in a way that those who hear me know that I'm convinced. But also, as I reason through, and he uses the word orderly, in an orderly fashion, as as I reason through these things in sequence, in proving the validity of the things that are true about the life of Christ, he said, I want to write them convincingly. But then fourthly, why did Luke write this? Um, He wants us to be certain. He wants those who read the gospel of Luke, and particularly Theophilus. He said, Theophilus or anybody else that I write to, I want you to understand who Jesus is. I want you to understand how important Jesus is. I want you to understand the, the role that Jesus Christ deserves to play in your life. Did Jesus really do these things? Is the life of Christ credible? Theophilus, as you live in the Roman government, as you are struggling with the prospect of persecution, if you name the name of Christ and it's going to cost you your very life, are you going to identify with Christ in certainty or are you going to be fearful and perhaps not identify with him at all? And I think many of us can relate to that. Because perhaps we're just not as certain as we act like we are. At least we're certain when we're here. But when we're on the job, when we're with our friends at school, when the culture is bearing down on us with so many illogical, illogical thought processes just pressing in on us, things that that, that there is just the trashing of all of history, there is the banishing of and silencing of anybody that we disagree with, whether they're telling the truth or not. There is the canceling of everyone. Are we willing to stand up and say, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life? Are we willing to say that I put my faith in Jesus Christ? You see, Theophilus was facing the loss of his life. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. I think we will be in due time. What we're facing is the loss of our comfort, essentially. What we're facing is the loss of our stuff. What we're facing is the loss of our 
means of earning an income. What we're facing is being made fun of. What we're facing is somebody thinking that we're dumb or unintelligent. We're not facing what Theophilus was facing. And I just wonder how, how absolutely certain we are that Jesus Christ is absolutely essential and critical and supremely valuable and worthy of worship and worthy of living for and worthy of dying for. You see, our, our biggest problem that we face in life is, is essentially, I think, the, the intellectual uncertainty and the practical uncertainty, but, but the uncertainty that exists deep inside of our heart. Because if we were as certain as Luke was, and, and if we were as certain as Luke wanted Theophilus to be, every one of us would be willing to absolutely lay down everything, including our very life, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to be certain. He wants us to be certain. The point of this whole paragraph, verses 1 to 4, it's written in, in a Greek style. It's one long sentence. And when you find something that the Greeks have written in a sentence this long, they, uh, they, they, they basically are letting the last word serve as the point of what they are communicating. And the last word in the Greek text is the word certainty. The issue here in the Gospel of Luke is certainty. The word certainty means not literally means not totter. It, it has a negative at the beginning of it, and, and it's, it, it means I will not totter. I will not fail. I will find safety and security and reliability and firmness in who Christ is and what he has done. I will not add him to everything else in my life. I will not use him as a safety net. I will find him as the place of my security and certainty. When Luke wrote this introduction, he had seen the birth and the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the church and the ministry of Paul. He had seen all of that and he had that in his mind when he talked about this certainty. He said, the gospel is true. Jesus is Lord. Will you embrace him? Will you embrace his mission on this earth? Will you embrace his hope for humanity? That's why Luke wrote this book. That's what the gospel of Luke is about. It's about us hearing it taught. It's, it's about us reading through it, and it's about us walking away certain that this is true. But then finally this morning, why should Luke matter to us? How does the, the gospel of Luke impact um, our, our lives? Uh, let me give you just a few thoughts. Number one, we must know what we believe about Jesus Christ. We must know what we believe about Jesus Christ. It's not enough for you to say, yeah, man, I go to church. Yes, I believe everything in the Bible is true. We must know what we believe about Jesus Christ. We know, we know a lot about a lot of stuff. Usually when I sit down with couples in premarital counseling, I'll be able to tell those guys, you guys know more about pickup trucks than you do about women, and you're fixing to get married. You know more about hunting than you do about women, 
and you're fixing to get married. How many magazines do you have over there that, that talk about popular mechanics or that talk about how to kill a deer or do a, a turkey call? How many hours have you worked on trying to call a turkey up there, up there out in the woods so you can shoot him? Right? And it probably won't be fitting to eat. We know more about so many other things than we do about Jesus Christ. And, and the things that we're listening to on the radio, the things that we're watching on the TV, the hours that we spend in Netflix. And so, so he's writing to us saying that we must be certain about what we believe about Jesus Christ. And we need to instill that certainty in our kids. That's what the, the, what's the catechism about? Are we trying to do what other churches are doing? Are we trying to be cool? No, we're just trying to give you a snapshot of of how you can catechize your children. You say, well, I, the catechism, we're not Catholic. Catechism is not a Catholic practice. Catechism is a Christian practice whereby we take the truths of Scripture, we put them in a question and answer format, and we want to ask the questions, and we want our family to be able to answer the questions. We as adults want to be able to answer the questions. Someone has said the church that neglects systematic catechetical teaching has itself to blame for its waning strength. We're not here to entertain you, folks. We're not here to entertain you. Uh, it, you know, obviously you can look at, I can't compare to the writing on the screen for nine minutes this morning. Everybody was mesmerized. We're not here to entertain you, though. We're not, we're not here to have the, the best music. We're not here to have a cool atmosphere. We are here today to teach and preach and proclaim in, and live in such a way that we are certain about who Jesus Christ and what he has done and how critical he is for our lives. Secondly, why should Luke matter to us? Because history, and Luke is a historian, Luke is writing biographically, Luke is writing about Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ from beginning to end, and then picks up where the life of Christ in his church takes off in the book of Acts. Why should Luke matter to us? Why should this matter to us? Because history is the fulfillment of God's plan, including our life, including our personal history. Our personal history is absorbed into a sovereign God who is over all of history. Therefore, the details of your life matter to, are significant to, are a part of the plan of God. Every bit of it. Whether it's your pain or your sickness or your oppression, or the class warfare that's happened throughout history, or wars that are going on all over the planet, or racism that is not a uniquely American experience, or even death. These are all things that happen to us, and at the end of the day, a good God is sovereign over all of history, and if you're in a historical dry spell, or in a historical... Tsunami, don't give up because God is the author of history and you're, what you're going through right now is a part of the plan of God. I can't imagine somebody not being able to see or somebody not being able to move their legs or walk or somebody being covered with leprosy. And the, the purpose of all of that was for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Why? Because history is the fulfillment of God's plan. Luke went through a lot. Luke saw a lot. I don't know how many of you have ever visited the jail. 
I've never had the opportunity to visit because I was forced to go there. But I have visited people in the jail quite a bit. And it's the kind of thing that you kind of dread going to and can't wait to leave. Amen. It's just the kind of thing you dread going to and can't wait to leave. I've, I've had to do it throughout my life, just visit folks in jail. And, and s some of the folks were guilty of what they were accused of, probably guilty of worse than what they were accused of. All of a sudden, you've got to walk in, and now somebody thinks, you're this guy's friend, but I'm their pastor. You're their pastor. What kind of church must you have? Here's Luke, a physician, a Gentile, a historian, a tremendous writer, a humble, godly man whose life has been transformed and he could do anything with his life and he's sitting with Paul in prison. And that was the will of God. That was the plan of God. History is the fulfillment of God's plan, including our life, including everything that we're going through. Thirdly, why should Luke matter to us? It should matter to us and it should tell us not to place our, our knowledge and our intellect and our morality and our value system above the Word of God. I, I'm going to tell you that when all is said and done, what is written in Scripture will be proven to be true. And while, while the world is piling on and Scripture is being kicked to the curb and the church is being made fun of, the truth of God will march on and our Lord will reign victorious and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. People are stirred up. The nations are raging. People are shaking their fists in the face of God. But He will win in the end and that is absolutely true. Therefore, and here's what, here's what, here's what Luke is saying. Theophilus, you're hearing a lot of stuff. There are a ton of influences coming at you, Theophilus. And you've got to make some decisions. You've got to make some choices. You've got to determine what's true. You've got to determine what's false. Theophilus, you're probably a highly intelligent guy. Your name means lover of God, so you're probably a, a very uh, moral guy. There are a lot of good things we could say about Theophilus. Um, his value system is probably in a good place because he's having conversation with Luke about the veracity of Scripture. And he's saying to them, you've heard a lot of things, you've been influenced by a lot of things, a lot of things are coming into your brain. He's saying, I'm investigating and I'm now writing to you about Jesus Christ and I'm giving you the Word of God. Therefore, don't place your knowledge or your intellect or your morality or your value system above the Word of God. Don't do it. Don't do it in how you raise your kids. I, I would challenge you to forget popular teaching on child rearing and run to Scripture. I would challenge you uh, on how to treat your wife or how to be married or um, the, just so many different things. Study, learn, submit to Scripture, be transformed by the Word of God, adjust your heart in your life to the heart and the mind and the word of Almighty God. That's why he's writing, Theophilus, don't, don't place your morality, don't place your intellect, don't place what you think and believe above Scripture. Fourthly, fourthly, why should Luke matter to us? We should be committed to bringing the gospel to others. 
we should be committed to bringing the gospel to others. We should be committed to generating certainty by communicating Scripture systematically, by communicating Scripture order, order, in an orderly fashion, by communicating Scripture passionately, by communicating Scripture convincingly. I think probably one of the most powerful things that we have as believers is our certitude, the fact that we are convinced that this is true. We may walk into a room and we may be one out of ten or one out of a hundred that believes the Word of God. But I'm, I'm telling you that if we are absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord, that everyone will spend eternity separated from God forever and forever and forever apart from their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, apart from their confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're the only one in the room and we believe that and we stand on that, there's going to be something about our certainty that is going to be contagious when we get around people if we have that certainty. We should, we should be committed to bringing others to Christ, to generating certainty by communicating Scripture systematically and in an orderly fashion and with passion and convincingly. I think a lot of times the reason we don't share the good news with others is maybe we're convinced, but we don't know how to do it orderly. Maybe we don't know where to start. Maybe we're scared somebody will ask a question we can't answer. By the way, people ask me questions I can't answer all the time. And the biggest trouble I get into is when I try to answer a question that I don't know to answer to with um, a line of gobbledygook. Right? You don't have to answer everything. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be a know-it-all. You don't have to be a theological genius. You just need to be convinced. And you can read the Gospel of Luke and you can see the story of Jesus and you can see what Luke a highly educated man, highly proficient man, what he used to communicate to probably someone who was highly educated, uh, um, um, very highly intelligent person. He took these truths and this is what he communicated. And we can learn from this and we can do this. Why should Luke matter to us? Number five. Luke should matter to us because um, I think we should want to be like Luke. Right? I think we should want to be like Luke. Folks, we have ruined the church in America today. We have, we have, made, we have made preachers and theologians into rock stars. And it's a shame. The church was never intended to be the way it is in our land today. It was intended... It was, I, I want, listen, I want, I want to be like Luke. He had nothing to prove. He was humble. He was selfless. He would give up everything. He would go and do anything. He would go anywhere. Luke never thought he was too important. Luke never thought he was too good. Luke never thought he was too smart. Luke never thought he was too advanced. Why? Because he was certain of who Jesus Christ was. He was certain of who Jesus Christ was. Finally, why should Luke matter to us? Luke should matter to us because in Luke's writing we see this, that God the Father wants you to know Him and love Him. 
We have Scripture revealed to us, and particularly the Gospel of Luke, because God the Father wants us to know Him. He reveals Himself to us. God the Father, through the pen of Luke, is saying to you and to me, this is who I am. This is what I've done. You can identify me with certainty, and this is how much I love you. And this is how much I want you to know me. God the Father wants to be known. He reveals himself. He tells us his name. He wants to be in relationship to us. So we have Scripture, and Scripture reveals to us the desire of the Father to communicate himself to us and to our heart. And so when we see him, we love him. But we also see that God the Father wants you to know that He knows you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. And, and sometimes we, we put pressure on ourselves. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. And we put pressure on ourselves. I've got to do more. I, I, I'm, I'm not doing enough. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. Believe it or not, He wants to know you. And He wants you to know that He knows you. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And he wants you to enjoy life and fellowship with him. He wants you to come boldly to a throne of grace and walk in like you belong there. And look into his eyes and know that you're looking into the eyes of one who loves you so much and desires for you to be in his presence. He wants you to know him, but he wants you to know that he knows you. And that he loves you. And when Luke spent his time studying Jesus, I'm, I'm quite confident that that's what he, he was convinced of. That God has revealed himself so we can know him, but God has revealed himself so that we can know that he loves us. And that is what he's trying to communicate to Theophilus through the historical narrative of the life of Jesus Christ. It's our desire this morning for you to study the Gospel of Luke with us. We've got a few books in the bookstore on the first 12 chapters. We're not, we're not trying to make money. We're just trying to put resources in your hand. Um, we've got these study guides. We've got Bible reading plans. We've got the plan that you saw on the screen is accessible to everyone Folks, we want you to study the Gospel of Luke with us. We want you to learn and know and grow deep in God's Word. We've got these cards that we've created and uh, life lessons from Luke. You're invited. They'll be by the back door. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you grab a card and would you invite a friend? The Gospel of Luke is an invitation to the people that aren't certain about who Jesus Christ is to come and listen to the scriptures and be certain, right? If you're certain, would you, would you take three or four of these cards and, and have the boldness that Luke had to go to people that could potentially crush and destroy you or go to people that could potentially fire you from your job or go to people that could potentially call out the government officials? Just, just go to people and invite them. And say, look, we're studying the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is, is designed specifically to convince people who aren't quite sure that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
that Jesus Christ fulfilled all righteousness, that Jesus Christ died for our sin in our place, that Jesus Christ rose victorious over sin and de defeated sin, and this world is going to be in this huge mess until Jesus comes back. But He is our hope. He is our hope. If you don't know Christ, I invite you this morning, right where you are, just to call upon the name of the Lord. I invite you to confess your sin. I invite you to surrender to Jesus Christ today as Lord. I invite you to live for Him before you even walk out of this door this morning. Surrender your life to Christ. Of all the things that you think are certain, of all the things in which you place your hope, of all the things that you think are safe, of all the things that you think bring you security. None of that can compare to Jesus Christ. In fact, everything that you're hoping in today that isn't Christ is going to fail. Everything that you're hoping in today that isn't Jesus Christ is going to fall through. And at the end of the day, and at the end of your life, and at the end of human history, the only thing that's going to be left standing is God's Word. about His Son and our redemption. I, I challenge you, I call on you today to believe in Him, even if it costs you everything. I promise you, it'll be worth it.